everyone, and welcome to another episode of From No Crypto to No Crypto. I'm your host, the Crypto Coach, Blockchain Wayne. Today, we're joined by Pelly Wang. Now, Pelly is with Bracket Labs, and we're definitely going to jump in and find out what Bracket Labs is doing. But Pelly, first and foremost, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Wayne, for having me. Awesome. I'm definitely, I've been looking forward to this. I've pulled up the website for Bracket Labs and, and kind of did a deep dive over the last week and have some questions there. But before we jump into what's Bracket Labs and and, and what you, you guys are doing there, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Absolutely. Um, so I've been working in crypto uh, since 2017. And but really, my background, I came from both the finance and tech world. Um, I started my career on Wall Street, uh, working at an investment bank, and did a lot of big institutional deals. Uh, but over time, I kind of found that a lot of the tools that we uh, that we used on Wall Street were very basic. Uh, most of it was just, you know, using Excel, um, you know, meeting with clients, doing deals, pretty old fashioned. And I was really interested in sort of figuring out ways to use technology to make, you know, some of our deals happen faster. Um, and so that's sort of how I bridged over to the tech world, um, got started in startups. One of my first companies, Seed Invest, was the first online investment platform Form, um, really crowdfunding for early stage startups, which back in 2013, you know, 10 years ago, uh, was not as big as it was now. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was really a great sort of uh, entryway into venture capital. And I worked with a lot of uh, different startups at the time. And Seed Invest ended up being sold to Circle, which is one of the biggest stablecoin companies uh, in the US. And from there, I moved over to Consensus, which was, um, you know, the commercial arm of Ethereum. So we were a venture studio. We built a lot of the early, um, you know, key infrastructure uh, products uh, that live on Ethereum, like MetaMask, for instance, a lot of the uh, infrastructure tools uh, like Infura and really helped onboard people on, you know, sort of into the Ethereum ecosystem. And from there, I uh, left to start another company called Deer Creek. Uh, it's, a, it's a consulting and advisory firm. So we worked with a lot of the newer blockchains, you know, after Ethereum, there are a number of layer twos, um, other, other chains that have different consensus mechanisms um, and really try to, you know, find other ways to make uh, blockchain more usable for the entire ecosystem. And about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, we were very involved in DeFi. Uh, we saw that DeFi, you know, had some really good primitives, but in the derivative space, we saw that there was still um, a lot of challenges. Um, and so, so that was sort of the inspiration and uh, sort of genesis behind Bracket Labs. Awesome. So, you know, I always like to find that question, how did somebody transition into the space? And it seems like yeah. you just followed the tech and the tech led you to where you were fully, you know, inserted into this space uh, just just through the acquisition from Circle and then Consensus. So how yeah. has that transition been? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, with any startup uh, and any company, there's 
the tech side, you know, where you're working with like the engineers, um, you know, the CTO, and they're kind of like always going after the next hot thing, right? So blockchain um, has been around since 20, uh, 2008, um, but really started to only pick up, um, I would say in the last five, six years, right? Yeah. And um, there's different waves, you know, in sort of technology right now, everyone is really hot on AI and that's kind of the big topic that everyone's talking about. Um, but it takes some time before, I guess the rust, like it becomes mainstream, right? And I think that mm. was one of the big challenges with blockchain in the early days is that it's so different than, um, how people are used to transacting, right? Like the thought of holding um, tokens or having a self-custody wallet that never really um, existed, right? No one had ever yeah. thought of holding money outside of just having, you know, like dollar bills uh, or, 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 you know, money in your wallet. Like no one has ever thought of like, hey, let's hold a large sum of capital outside of a bank. Um, and I think that's still a concept that people are, you know, getting more comfortable. Um, and as fintech apps start to, you know, like I think people are now like comfortable with using their phone um, with Apple Pay and Google Pay, like just using that as the the main way to pay for things. Um, they're starting to be a lot more experimentation and people feeling comfortable doing that all online. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, you're, you're right. We, I think as we see this technology evolve, it, it's going to be simple interfaces that make it easier to use. That's one of the things I've said for years is, yes, we need education in the space because there's a lot of things like there's there's no comparative. There's nothing to compare it to like, oh, this is just an improvement on this. It's something completely different. But there are user interfaces that we can add to make it super simple and easy for people to use, reduce some friction to where they don't even realize that they're using the technology, but we know the, mm -hmm. the benefits of, of utilizing yeah. it. Yeah, so a, a really good, um, I guess, story um, back from when we were starting Seed Invest, um, you know, we had people uh, that were investing from lots of different locations, not just the U.S., but also um, internationally and having mm -hmm. people send money to our you know bank account was really really challenging um oh, yeah. because everyone you know didn't really understand you know the one like within the us they said oh like can we use a credit card we didn't accept credit cards um you know in the beginning for uh for for you know kind of like big venture investments we had yeah. you know to accept cash um and so you ha they had to use wires and achs and then the, on top of that for international customers um they were sending you know euros or other currencies and they had an fx um component to it so it mm. was a operation nightmare and i wish you know back then if we had stable coin or you know so, some sort of payment standard it would make it so much easier oh, to yeah. process so um you know that's just some of the things that i'm really excited about for uh crypto in the future and you know i think that's that's starting to you know we're starting to see some momentum on that front as well Awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into bracket labs. Let's dive into that. And, uh, you know, two questions for you. I'll let you pick which order to go in, but, sure. uh, obviously what is bracket labs, but also yeah. the origin story, like how did that come about? Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll start from the origin story. Uh, okay. I think that's always, um, that's 
always interesting. So, um, you know, I think, again, going back to my background, you know, I did a lot in finance and then started doing a lot more on the tech world. And being, you know, in crypto from, you know, the really, really early days, I saw um, there were a lot of different products being, um, you know, kind of promoted on exchanges. And as we ran into problems with exchanges and a lot of, you know, um, the problems with FTX and um, the other centralized lenders, people started to look at sort of DeFi products. Um, and that was starting to sort of bridge over. But the products being offered in DeFi were either really clunky or really, really complex. Um, and a lot of it was just, you know, kind of like in the early days, um, people using swaps to just, you know, trade between like Ethereum and a stable coin or yeah. Ethereum and, you know, the newest altcoin or like meme coin, um, which is, you know, kind of like the, the basics, right? You need to have swaps, um, spot, spot, uh, spot swaps ready. Um, and then you kind of build more complex products on top. And the next product that we saw were perps. So that was a way to sort of speculate on the future price of, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatnot, um, sort of in the future. Um, and that was a really, really uh, huge product. It was very successful. You know, there's a lot of different products um, that have that have done really well in the last few years. But then in the option space, um, you know, we know that that's a huge market in traditional finance, but there wasn't really any products that took off. And I think with options, one, it's really complex, right? The way that it's built um, in traditional finance, there's strike prices, there's all these like confusing Greek letters, there's, um, you know, uh, a margin account and, we knew that that was not going to be usable for regular people in DeFi. Like it's too much to sort of set up. You're not going to be able to compete with a, a centralized exchange. And so we kind of set out and we're like, okay, that's kind of the next frontier um, is to really try to, to take a really hard product and, and simplify it so that it's one usable for people, that it's fun, um, but also, that it's actually usable on DeFi because DeFi, you know, there's a lot of complexities where um, you can't do super complex things on Ethereum because the gas costs become astronomical and um, you have to change certain parameters like having to quickly update price all the time doesn't work when, you know, all of a sudden Ethereum shoots up in price, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to be able to track that. So, so those are some of the parameters that we um, set up to solve. And uh, that was sort of the, the sort of inspiration behind wanting to do something for Bracket. And, and over the last year, you know, we've come out with uh, different iterations. Uh, most recently, last month, we launched Testnet for a new product called Passage, which is our take on um, basically a volatility market, right? So we know in crypto, volatility uh, is usually very high, <laughs> but when we look at the data, um, there's actually only spikes of like, huge volatility moments, right? Um, right? For most of this year, um, ETH and Bitcoin were really 
in a channel, right? It was kind of like trading sideways. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the last two weeks with BlackRock and the ETF story, it would spike up and then it kind of trades in a channel again. And then there's another story and then it spikes up. Um, and that's really kind of the trading history over the last few years um, as there's more people and the market caps of, of all these assets get bigger, you're going to see less crazy like 100x or, you know, like these huge, huge spikes, um, they start to become much more modular. So um, that that's kind of the idea around range bound pro uh, derivatives. And mm -hmm. that's what we're kind of building uh, right now. Yeah, I was glad to see that because that's one thing I think most people don't, they don't zoom out or, or examine the chart enough to see that all they think is, oh, crypto is so volatile, but you're right. I mean, when you look at it, those that volatility is usually in short periods of time. And outside of that, we're pretty much range bound. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, historically, I mean, that's, I know one guy that that's strictly his trading strategy, yeah. you know, and yeah. and it, it can be very profitable. Obviously, the more indicators you use, the better, but that's something that uh, can definitely, uh, definitely help you when you zoom out mm -hmm. to see the big picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think um, the idea behind passage is not for someone to like do a zillion like computations, right? Like you don't want to like have to pull out like an Excel sheet or Google sheet and like try to calculate, you know, those numbers. Um, we wanted to just make it easy for someone, um, usually because they have a sense over the next two days. Um, that's typically, you know, we're, we're playing in more of the short range of um, okay. of the derivative sort of term. So you have sort of a sense of, hey, in the next two days, do I think that volatility is going to be high or do I think volatility is going to be low? Um, and we try to make that decision making process really simple. And you can see it really easily in a chart. Um, and that should make it a much more fun, you know, trading experience. Um, and, you know, right now we're starting with sort of the big assets, but in the future, you know, one of the things that we're excited about is using um, this model to go after other types of assets um, that people, you know, kind of want to trade. Yeah, so you can apply that to any asset that um, is tokenized either now or in the future. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we use uh, an Oracle, we use Chainlink to track the price of Bitcoin, for instance. So um, you don't necessarily need to own Bitcoin uh, to basically bet on on its volatility. Um, okay. And so, you know, in the future, if tokenized stocks or you know, other tokenized commodities, if those, you know, become popular, then we can, we can basically make these uh, products for, for those assets. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a, a really nice tool. And so like on passage, uh, is someone basically either betting on the, the breakout or the stay in range type mentality? Is that what it is? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I think, there's really just two, you know, we tried to make it uh, boil everything down into two uh, decisions. Um, so if you if you think that 
the volatility is going to be sideways or relatively low, um, and you take in the break inside. And then if you think you know that it's going to be high ball, um, like right now, I think a lot of people are wait, you know, kind of speculating is the ETF, um, you know, the Bitcoin ETF. I think there's a window of, of seven days, and so people think that you know, is it going to get approved? And you know, if that's baked in to the price, then they might take the break outside. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. Now I saw something also when I was uh, exploring, looking in the bracket, mm -hmm. uh, there was some, uh, there was an event with Binance this past summer. Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Binance, um, we were one of the uh, projects accepted in their season five uh, incubator. So Binance Labs, uh, they basically select from, you know, thousands of, of projects um, and they help incubate them. Uh, you know, in, in their incubator to build the product, you know, think about uh, token models, go to market strategies, marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been, you know, huge help. One, because they, you know, they sit really at the intersection of where traders are, right? And people always go to them, trade the newest uh, tokens, but also they have a lot of different products on BNB chain. Um, and so they were really supportive, um, you know, going in that direction for derivatives, um, because again, they know that derivatives is a huge space. Um, there's not as many new products being launched in that category. So um, we were really happy to work with them, um, you know, to have their marketing support, their ecosystem support. Um, and, you know, even though, of course, um, when we first launched, we were on the Arbitrum uh, blockchain, which mm -hmm. is an L2. And, um, you know, we have plans in the future to also launch on BNB because we know uh, there's a lot of traders on that chain and we're excited to work, um, you know, on that partnership with Binance. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm familiar. We, uh, we went through the Binance Labs. Uh, process. I think it was almost four years ago. So oh, wow. it's really exciting to see. And also, you know, just recently, I think it was maybe last week or so, or, or recently, I was in Turkey at the Binance Blockchain Week uh, in yeah. Istanbul, and CZ had made a comment that was trending online quite a bit, really just talking about the future. I forgot the exact wording, but in essence, uh, they're betting heavily on uh, decentralized um infrastructure and more yeah. than centralized obviously centralized exchanges onboard a lot of people to crypto but they see the future is in web3 DeFi, and so that's where they're putting their efforts which you know would mm -hmm. definitely be a reason for them to see what bracket labs is doing and definitely want to participate yeah. in that so that's exciting yeah. to see i think um the cool thing uh, you know we're seeing sort of these hybrid models where um it's hard for DeFi to get all the li the regulatory licenses, you know, in all the different mm -hmm. jurisdictions. So you use the centralized exchange because they're already live in all these countries. That helps with you know onboarding customers, and then um, and then they basically allow people to go into you know kind of a self custody wallet. Um, Binance owns. Uh, uh, trust wallet. Um, so that's a good way to sort of, you know, get into other apps or it doesn't matter. You can, you, you can use any other, you know, wallet. Um, mm -hmm. But from, from the wallet, you know, it, it's really your gateway to kind of the newest uh, products. And, and I think it's, it's hard for exchanges to sort of 
experiment as fast as DeFi. So that's where you're really going to see like the newest, you know, latest uh, stuff. And um, I think that's a good, I think that's a good partnership. You know, it's a good sort of like mm. way to discover what's, what could be really hot. And if it works, then they, you know, could slowly integrate that into their exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's one thing that really impresses me when I see, when you see something like that, because I've seen that, that I've talked to people with Binance and I've talked to people also with Coinbase here in the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and both, and both of those, they're focused on building their, um, Web3 infrastructure, Coinbase mm-hmm. with their Coinbase wallet and decentralized mm-hmm. protocols. Binance has been focusing heavily on uh, decentralized protocols that mm-hmm. can just really enhance the chain. So, and, and it's, it's good to see as more and more people start to understand the benefits of um, self-sovereign ownership, being able to control their assets, not yeah. having to put all of your trust into one entity, which you're right, you alluded to that earlier when we were talking about the FTX Mm-hmm. Uh, and just what's happened with FTX and other exchanges where that really wasn't a cryptocurrency problem. That was just a corruption and centralization problem where you have right. one one person or a group of a few people in control right. of millions of users' assets. And right. that creates what we've seen. It, it's uh, And I think this, this technology can solve a lot of those problems if we make it easier for people to use. Why do people, we tell people all the time, don't leave your asset on exchanges, take mm-hmm. control, take custody, right? Why do they leave it there? Because it's easy and mm-hmm. having simple interface. And it seems like your team at Bracket Labs is really focused on just simple user interfaces. Would that be a correct statement? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm someone that's really active in DeFi. So, um, you know, I'm always, whenever there's something that's like a, a new concept or category that's launched, I'm always testing it, you know, just again, being in the space for a long time. um, I see a lot of different projects and, you know, it helps me get new ideas for where we're going as Bracket, but also, you know, it's everything is very composable. So you can, you know, really partner with some of the newest um, ideas. And I find that a lot of, you know, a good percentage of, of founders want to make it really, really complex because they think, you know, making it super complex means that uh, we're a more defensible protocol. It's harder for other people to figure out. But I actually think that's the opposite. As a user, like, I don't want to (laughs) read your white paper to figure out, like, what the heck, you know, your token does. And there's like, you know, three different steps. And um, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So I, I want it to be really simple really useful and, um, you know, sort of, uh, something that I can quickly use like on the fly, either on my phone, on my computer. Um, I think that's simple is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that one. It it has to be a simple process. Mm -hmm. And I think so many times a lot of, a lot of founders and not all, all the time, but a lot of founders and, and, and some of the, the, these tech innovation projects, Mm -hmm. Are there in many cases their background is as a developer and engineer, and so yes. they're they're basically yes. very focused on the complexities, and they they I don't want to say I guess you could say they underestimate the importance of making things super easy to use. Like I I always go back and I compare past technologies. Right, um, yeah. I don't think the iPhone is the most advanced phone on the market today, mm-hmm. but what's the one thing that's got it such um appeal and notoriety is how mm-hmm. simple it is for 
most people just pick up and start using. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think, you know, even even with the iPhone, there's like all these like features um, that are built in and other people say, oh, like you can, you know, um, add this new keyboard and you're just like, oh, wow, like I had no idea that you had yeah. all these other capabilities. Right. Um, it's it's crazy how fast technology is advancing. Um, and I think that's the hard part if you're trying to appeal to a lot of people yeah. is that there's so much information. There's only so much that someone can sort of absorb, um, you know, in your project. I mean, there's just almost too much news happening 24 uh, seven. So yeah. you have literally like 30 seconds or 60 seconds to like get your product across. And if it takes, you know, someone with a PhD and like 30 minutes to read your white paper, it's just not going to fly. Yeah, that is absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. That is that is so true. I mean, and, and that's just not that's not just in this space. I mean, that's tech in general. Right. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. And, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, sort of the AI wave. Um, and I'm not even uh, up to snuff on everything that's happening there because there's so many new oh, projects hard. getting funded. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they're like, oh, these like huge algorithms and like machine learning um, models. And that's, you know, like way too advanced for me. <laughs> I don't have time to like, you know, like research into that. So um, props to anyone that can stay on top of like all this stuff. I always um, like I, I kind of follow like Elon Musk and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's running five different companies at the same time doing, you know, really, really complex technical stuff. I don't, I don't know how he's able to stay on top of, um, stay on top of everything. Yeah, I'm sure he's definitely got around the right people, but that's 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 a different level for than most people. I could yeah. say that, but yeah, it's it's definitely evolving fast, and most people don't care about all the intricacies, right? Is is it? How can I use even the large language models? How how can that benefit me? And I yeah. you make it something as simple as um, plug and play, open up an application, I can use it. It solves a problem mm -hmm. I need, or it improves a process I'm doing already. Yeah. I don't care if it's AI. I don't care if it's blockchain. I just care, hey, it made my life easier and or more secure or one of those aspects without making things more complicated. Because <laughs> you're right. We're in a fast paced world already. Not not many people have the time to sit down and say, okay, let me let me figure out what this is and how to use it. Mm -mm. Awesome. So Pelly, as we start to wrap up, one last thing, I don't know if you want to touch on at all. Uh, we you kind of touched on it for a second, but global mm -hmm. DeFi regulation. Being yeah. that, that, that Bracket Labs is in this space, mm -hmm. um, what do you see coming in terms of the regulations for DeFi globally? I know it's a it's it's kind of a balancing act between don't stifle innovation and have you know be able to to meet certain jurisdictions requirements, I guess you could say. Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say that, you know, regulations are very uneven across the uh, across the globe. And um, there are certain places, you know, uh, for instance, in Asia, where we, we see like Hong Kong, um, certain jurisdictions trying to come up with new regulations that are are, that fit with Web3, right? A lot of the regulations in the US and, you know, the industry, the crypto industry has really complained is that like, you know, the SEC and some of the security regulations are made, you know, uh, 
80 years ago. Um, and they don't really uh-huh. fit with sort of what, uh, what blockchain and, you know, the decentralized nature and the global nature, how it operates. Um, and so I think overall, the industry is welcoming of, of regulation, but they also, you know, I, I think they want to work with regulators to say, hey, these are the things that I'm doing. Um, you know, we're not trying to be scammy or try to steal user funds. Like we're trying to build a new, you know, financial infrastructure and guardrails for people to use um, because, you know, back in the day, people didn't necessarily have to like transact with, you know, foreign countries, right? Like you, you kind of just operated like in the U.S. You, you had your, your business, you sold, you know, everyone used U.S. dollar. You didn't have to think about, you know, shooting money to Europe or to yeah. Australia or, you know, Africa and the Middle East and whatnot. Um, and, and people want things to happen instantaneously, right? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the beauty of global business. It's always on, it's 24 um, seven. And stable coins, for instance, can solve some of those issues. Um, I think a lot of DeFi is trying to think of like, hey, if we're in this 24 seven trading environment, how can that work for lending and borrowing or how can that work for derivatives? Um, so that's, you know, I think that's sort of where the industry is today. Over the next few years, um, you know, there's a lot of these um, regulations, like for instance, in Europe with the virtual asset service provider, VAST licenses, the Mika licenses, those will all start to unfold. And I think it'll, these regulations will start to harmonize. Um, so I think in the next three years, there'll be much clearer regulation. And I think that actually will help um, the DeFi industry grow bigger because a lot more bigger institutions will feel comfortable transacting and you'll yeah. see more, um, more volume come online. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In my early days of studying Bitcoin, I was always an advocate that we don't need governing bodies to come in and try to regulate this. And that's true to certain aspects, but if we want more people to, to participate in the global field and like you mentioned, those institutional players, a lot of them, they want to get involved, but they're waiting on some type of clarity on what they can and can't do and how they can operate. And once they get that, yeah. then you're going to see um, really a boom that everybody's going to benefit. So that's why I always I always yeah. look for or hope for a light touch regulation in terms of don't stifle innovation, but you know definitely get it to where it can follow existing regulations or updates to regulations. As you mentioned, yes, yeah, some of those are very old. Uh, in terms of what they were uh, designed for. And I think we see that then everybody's going to benefit, you know, not just the large institutions, but anybody that's wanting to participate, they'll have, Mm -hmm. it'll be better access, I feel. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think that, again, that's partially why people feel excitement around the ETF because, you know, before it's kind of like, oh, like, how do you own Bitcoin? Well, you have to like, go to an exchange and then do KYC and then, you know, like hook up your bank account and send money in, you know, like there's five steps um, to do that. And most people are, you know, not the most like active. (laughs) So they don't want to go through all those steps. You know, they already have their bank account. Most people don't want to keep, you know, uh, moving funds back and forth. Um, And I I think that's going to be, um, you know, I think that's going to be a big impetus for people at least to learn more about it. You know, you have to take baby Mm -hmm. steps and you're like, oh, this is really neat. And then like, maybe I'll try to experiment and, you know, 
own it outright. But in the in the beginning, you have sure. to make it easy for people. Absolutely. Cool. All right, Pelly, it's definitely been a, you know, a pleasure and honor to have you on today. So let's let's maybe share with, with the audience, how can they find out more about Bracket Labs? Sure. So we're active on all social media platforms. Um, the best way is to follow us at Bracket underscore labs underscore on Twitter or X. Um, but you can find all of that information on our website, which is bracketx.fi. And um, you can follow us. We have a lot of really cool stuff happening. Um, we're going on mainnet soon in December, and we'll have a lot of really exciting programs to promote that. So, Awesome. Looking forward to seeing that. Definitely encourage everybody to uh, follow them, give them a follow and go on the website, follow them on social media, different platforms and, and keep up with what's going on there. It looks like uh, your team is definitely leading the way uh, in, in a way that I really appreciate making things simple and easy uh, for people that, that there's too much complexity, not just in this space, but in finance in general and being able to streamline that is very important. So Pelly, thanks again for joining us today. Any final words before we part? No, um, again, I think what you're doing is really critical and important. Again, it's just to educate people on why, you know, cryptocurrency is an exciting space to be in. Um, you know, being uh, able to self-custody your own funds is a really important concept. And hopefully more people get excited about this space and, and come in. So thank you for Absolutely. doing that work. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. All right. That's it, everyone. Thanks again for listening. And we will catch you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thank you.